Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Jerry Jose was recently in Hong Kong to visit his elderly parents in North Point. He grew up in North Point as part of a Portuguese family and would later become a DJ in the early discos of Hong Kong before joining then Radio Hong Kong before it was RTHK as first an engineer and then a broadcaster. These days he lives in Pennsylvania in a rural area in Amish country where at the supermarket you can tie up your horse. Jerry Jose and his wife Carol have been enjoying the dim sum and going back to their roots. This was back in the 50s. My mom was a telephone operator. You remember what those things were? People used to plug in cables and things to telephones. She was a telephone operator with cable and wireless. And what's her name? Uh, her name is Geraldine, and my dad worked as a clerk with Jardines Matheson, and they were the, the, the big import-export company. And they both worked with those companies their whole lives, which is something that most people don't do now. They stay with the same company their whole lives. And they retired very early, in their 50s. Now, your name is Jerry Jose or Jose? It's Jose. It's Portuguese. There's a very large Portuguese community in Hong Kong, as you probably know. Larger before, because a lot of them have immigrated to Canada. Most of my friends and relatives are all on, uh, on the West Coast, either in California or in Vancouver. But I'm one of the few people who actually settled in the East Coast. So let's go back to the beginning. Now, I know that from Anders Nelson, who still puts in a lot of work at RTHK, that you both went to King George V or KG5 school. But first of all, you're saying about Jose that it's Portuguese heritage. Mm -hmm. So does your family originate from Macau or Hong Kong? Actually, Portugal. My grandfather, my, my father's father, was a soldier in the Portuguese army, and he ended up being stationed in Macau. And henceforth, my grandmother also met him. And our Portuguese heritage is all Portuguese. My, both my father's parents are Portuguese, and both my mother's parents are Portuguese. My mother's father would probably be more well-known to Hong Kong people because his name was Xavier. And his family ran the Hong Kong printing press, which later became the Hong Kong Standard. His family actually owned the Hong Kong printing press, and they did a lot of printing in Hong Kong back in the 40s, and the 30s and the 40s. So that's, that's our heritage. Your family history, yeah. do you know it well? I mean, is, is it sort of being told from generation to generation? Not really. It's funny, but that generation didn't really talk about themselves that much, you know. And it wasn't until about uh, a few years ago when I started feeling my own mortality. And I said, you know, I want to find out a little bit about who I am and where I came from. And uh, I did a lot of research online. And that's when I discovered these things. I said, oh, my God, you know, I've got, I've got a very interesting heritage. <laughs> where were you born? I was born in Kanasa Hospital in the mid-levels, and we grew up in Mofanuk, which is low-cost housing. So we were very poor. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of money. So we, we, we had one little bedroom, which my parents had, and we had another room, which was like the living area where all the kids slept. I had three siblings. Eventually, my, my dad uh, started making a little bit more money, and, and we moved into a larger apartment, which actually had two bedrooms, which was uh, a little bit better. And we had, like, a bunk beds, and all the kids slept together, you know. And then eventually my dad managed to buy this apartment in North Point, you know, which was like, wow, a big deal. You know, we actually own a place now, yeah. <laughs> 
Were you the oldest sibling? I am the oldest. I have uh, two sisters which have already passed. My brother is still alive. He's my younger brother, and uh, he lives in Hong Kong. Um, he's a little bit, you know, mentally disabled. So he's he has a, he has a job, but he it's more like looking after other uh, disabled people, and you know. He, but he keeps he keeps himself uh, very uh, very well occupied, and his wife looks after him. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up in Hong Kong, uh, which area was it? So were you in Kowloon or...? I grew up in the North Point area, very much so. I have vivid memories of the 67 riots, going to school and coming home from school, walking the streets and seeing bombs in the in the streets with signs saying, you know, British running dogs, keep away, you know, and things like that. And it was a scary time in the 60s. I have also ha- have fond memories of... us being all together in that little tiny flat which they still live in and not feeling as though it was tiny it it felt like it was home and and besides my parents and my three siblings we also had two Chinese nanas who looked after us amas who looked after us fed us and and, and bathed us and did everything else and and were they the traditional amas yeah they were the traditional amas Uh, we had one who had been with me since I was five years old until I actually grew up and left the house her name was Assam she's passed away now but she she was a sweet old lady she just you know taught me all the Cantonese I knew that's for sure you know and besides them my grandfather moved in as well so we were like one big happy family in this little tiny 500 square feet <laughs> what was your primary school if you went to KG5 later Quarry Bay Junior School <laughs> I actually looked it up online I said I wonder if it's still there and it's not they moved it they moved it up onto the hill in Fortress Hill it's uh, above the back of uh, the buildings at Fortress Hill right on top of the hill but it used to be in a really quaint colonial-style building right in Quarry Bay, and I used to uh, actually walk to school. I had friends uh, I still communicate with today from Quarry Bay Junior School. Yeah. In KG5? KG5, I was a proverbial bad boy in school. I was, I was not a good student. I remember Mrs. Smith, who was my chemistry teacher, who eventually became headmistress of KG5. When my sister went to KG5, because we all of us went to KG5, including the second generation, my daughter actually went to KG5 as well. But when my sister went to KG5, she said, D. Jose, is your brother Geraldo D. Jose? And she said, yes. She says, you're not going to be as much trouble as him, are you? <laughs> Were you disruptive? I was pretty disruptive, and I didn't take school seriously. It's funny because uh, I actually graduated with a couple of couple of degrees, so I'm okay. Yeah. I was just bored with the whole thing. I found going outside and playing more Were important. You a sportsman? Hmm? Were you a sportsman? I like playing soccer and basketball and table tennis. I was actually pretty good at table tennis. And what did you do for hobbies? Did you play instruments as a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah. Music was a very big part of my life. Always wanted to be in a band, always drove my dad crazy with my drumming. I had uh, I had a drum set, which I bought. In fact, I bought it from... Uh, so you had all these people living in your flat and a drum set? And a drum set, yeah. <laughs> I would, I'd lock myself in the... the neighbours? Yeah, I know, I know. I, it, didn't, it didn't enter my head at all. No, no it didn't. <laughs> I actually bought the drum set from Freddie Chan, who was the drummer of uh, Teddy Robin and the Playboys.
and I were good friends, and I used to hang out with, with him a lot. And he, he said, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm selling my drum set. I'm getting a new set." And I said, oh, "I'll buy it." Yeah. So, who would you have said were the drummers that influenced you at that time? Drummers at that time, I, I was a big Beatles fan, and then Rolling Stones. You know, so. Uh, I would listen to those bands. Uh, I was very much a rocker. Not so much pop music, but definitely rock music. And there was a lot. I mean, well, you mentioned Teddy Robin. There was a lot of Hong Kong-generated bands at that time. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Samson Sisters, you know, the Top Notes, Michael Remedius and the Mystics. <laughs> Anders Nelson. remember the, one of my first impressions was when the Continentals played at with our, a K. Yeah, yeah, with a K. Uh, played at our, our, uh, our Christmas party, uh, the school Christmas party, KG5's Christmas party, and he played, and I, w I went, oh, and this, you know, he, he became famous. <laughs> he was very blonde. He, he was. Very, very he was this, this Swedish guy who, who swore perfectly in Cantonese. <laughs> It would throw the throw the locals uh, for a loop. You know, they would try to figure out what 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 is this. <laughs> so yeah, so you were surrounded by quite a lot of Hong Kong bands. You say you like the Stones and the Beatles. Was there? Uh, I mean, I'm aware, of course, that the the Beatles came here. Um, I think in '64. Um, did you get a chance to see them at that time? No, because I was only 13 <laughs> and I couldn't afford the price of a ticket. <laughs> In the 60s, you're um, a teenager enjoying, as you say, the Stones, the Beatles, plus this local scene. With your drumming, did you take it a long way? No, I'm one of those frustrated musicians who uh, play a lot of instruments pretty well. <laughs> like what? Uh, but not, not, not to the extent where I could uh, become professional. But did you, what other instruments... I, I play keyboards and I play uh, guitar, a lot of percussion, uh, all kinds of But you've of percussion. been members of a band? Yes, I've been members of bands and, and we've played in public, you know, a lot of rock and roll. I've played with, I don't know if you know the Rodriguez brothers, but they were part of the Mystics band and uh, Vasco da Costa, who's a uh, bass player for the Mystics. And, uh, we, we, so they're all Portuguese? They're all Portuguese, yeah, we, we were the pork and cheese band, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're starting in local bands, what, 17, 18? They were. Uh, I was still struggling. When uh, Frederick uh, uh, was, was playing, uh, Teddy Robin and Playboys and Frederick were playing, say, in... Uh, so the Stan yeah, Stanley Beach, you know, at, at a concert or something, you know. I sort of hang out in the wings and, and uh, I said, Freddie, you tired yet? Are you tired yet? You know? <laughs> and Freddie okay, go play a song, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I get on the drums for a bit. I was younger and and uh, what sort of numbers were they? Did you make them up yourself, or did you do cover versions? No, this this would be this would probably be in the in the seventies, and we do cover songs, you know, things like Deep Purple and stuff like that, you know. So you know, I, I still was very much into the rock, so we played Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. When I was playing with uh, members of the Mystics. Uh, when we did some charity events, we did more soul stuff, you know, Otis Redding and stuff like that, yeah. And uh, did you have long hair? I had hair down the back of my back. I cultivated a Che Guevara look. <laughs> I had I had the beret and everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, people look at me, they, they don't believe you, long hair. <laughs> you can't picture it, No. 
<laughs> do we have pictures for proof? Uh, yes, I do. Not here, but I do have pictures. I was still a bad boy. I, th- I, I think I still am, actually. Uh, I used to uh, be one of those little boy racers. Did your mother fret? Oh, my mother fretted no end, but she she kind of gave up and went, oh, my God, you know, I, I don't even want to know what so you're doing. So a boy racer? A boy racer, I used to get a sports car, soup them up and race them. Where in Hong Kong? Exactly. What, Taylor, Taylor Highway? <laughs> no, no, not, not so highway, actually. I preferred, I preferred narrow, windy roads. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, where you could do the Tokyo Drift thing. Yeah. What's the Tokyo Drift? Tokyo Drift is when you take a corner so fast, the back wheels slide out, and you go, you go around the corner sideways, basically. You know? And what sort of cars? Uh, I had three GTOs that uh, were totally wrecked, total three of them. One of them I didn't do. Uh, a buddy of mine borrowed it to take his friends across the harbour. Don't lend your cars out, Jerry. Yeah, I know, I know. And this this had just come back from Macau Grand Prix and is all souped up and everything. So you used it in the Macau Grand Prix? Yes. It, it, so it, did you race in the Macau Grand Prix? Actually, I had, a, I had a, a friend race it. Uh, it was all souped up, but I had a friend drive it. You know, in the in the Grand Prix, and uh, he was he was a he was a, a, a racing driver. So, you know, he had his his uh, racing license and everything. So, I was like, you drive my car, you drive my car. <laughs> what color was it? It was it was green. Uh, Did you have go faster stripes on the side? Oh yeah, yeah. You had had faster stripes on the side, and and uh, it was all souped up. It had uh, big racing tires on and everything, and it was doing about 180 uh, down the stretches. So it was, it was fast car, yeah. <laughs> so you enjoyed cars, uh, you enjoyed music. Now, in terms of, you know, if we go sort of 60s into 70s, what was the night scene in Hong Kong like? I mean, did you have early discos? I was a disco DJ. In fact, uh, that was a very big part of my transformation to becoming a radio DJ. I was uh, essentially, when I joined uh, RTHO, Radio Hong Kong, as it was before. Which was when? Around 69. At that time, I was just a, a recording engineer. So I, I, was, I joined as an engineer... Uh, behind the scenes, you know, plugging in all the all the chords and things, and and adjusting the the mics and and and, and the volumes and things like that. So, so for other programs, for other programs, for for other programmers, uh, announcers, etc. And I did that for about thirteen years, and ended up becoming an executive engineer because I, I, I do outside broadcasts and things like that. So was and Uncle Ray Cadero already uh, Radio was, Hong Kong? He was already there. Uh, it was nineteen seventy nine, the disco era when I got into being DJing in, in, in discos around town. So what discos were there? I mean, I, I know that there were early ones. There was Disco Disco in Langrofong. There was also uh, an early one in the peninsula. Yeah, that was Canton Disco. Yeah, uh, Disco Disco, Canton Disco. Canton Disco, Andrew Bull uh, pretty much was a DJ over there and ran the place. Um, Andrew also gave me my first start in disco, the scene, uh, the scene was predates all of them because the scene was actually a nightclub before it became a disco. Which was where? Which was right in the Peninsula Hotel, in the basement of the Peninsula Hotel. And I was uh, 15 years old and I desperately wanted to get into the scene club. And that was when the Mystics were playing down there. And I used to, yeah, I was a schoolboy, you know. And so what did you, you know, when early discos like that, what would you have worn? I would have worn my leopard skin pencil 
thin bell-bottom hipsters <laughs> and a paisley shirt. I bet you look cool. And, and long hair, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I would uh, try and blend in with the crowd whenever they, whenever they let them in because I would be underage. So I'd like sort of squeeze in amongst all the people going in, you know, so that he wouldn't see that I was underage. And once inside, of course, we had a blast. Yeah. So, 19, so that's 1966 or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And no. So, what sort of music was playing? Uh, that was that was uh, that was uh, the Mystics playing down there, and then eventually uh, the Mystics. Uh, so it would be a disco, but it would be live. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's live band, live band, and then eventually it turned over, and Andrew Bull came in. Uh, he turned it into a disco, and he started playing disco music, and I used to go in on Andrew's nights off. And, and spin the disc for him. So describe early DJing. Early DJing was, you know, by the time of the hustle and all that sort of music, and 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 you, you would just play, you know, one song after another. People request songs, you play it, you know. So you would have two record players up there, or oh, usually three or four, three or four. So you could queue up special ones, you know, if you if you had a request, you sort of put it on a side, and uh, when you're ready, you just play it for them, yeah. But uh, I think the highlight for me was when I got my own club. It was called the Coliseum in Hankow Road, and we would just have a blast down there. So you bought a club? No, no, no. I was the main DJ in that club. It was owned by a Chinese gentleman who actually owned Bottoms Up and a couple of those clubs around there. He decided to get into the disco business, and I was hired as a DJ. I was pretty much responsible for all the sound, the, the equipment, and everything else. So I also, at that time, there was a, a billboard convention in New York City, and I was like, oh, i got to go to that. Uh, it was a billboard a disco convention. I asked the owner, I said, can I go? And he says, I'm not paying for it. I said, look, take it out of my pay. I'm going, right? And he said, well, I can do that. So he paid for it, and then I had to pay work for a couple of months for free. But that's okay, because when I got to New York, I was watching DJs mixing. And I said, hey, that's something I can do, you know, because I'm technically, technically minded. I can, I can do that. So I, I learned how to mix, and I was watching them, seeing what they were doing, and okay. I came back to Hong Kong, and I was one of the early DJs who actually did mixing in Hong Kong. Uh, but I, I, I did it in such a way which was different from everybody else, because what I did was I actually put up a little bullhorn on, on my console, and my DJ booth was open, so people could actually stand over me and watch what I'm doing. And I had a little bullhorn so that when I'm mixing, it's, it, most DJs have headphones, so you can't hear what they're actually listening to or doing. But everybody else could hear what I was hearing. So when I was mixing, and they were like, oh, what is, what's he doing? What's he doing? And then I'd, I'd, I'd mix a song, two songs together, and they go, oh, man, that's cool. you know. <laughs> so I, I often was, was DJing, but I often had a crowd around the DJ booth, you know, watching what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did all the girls want to go out with you? Uh I was married. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, but, yeah, so uh, tell me about that, you know. So um, was your wife also... Uh, I just met Carol briefly, you know, yeah. but was she also into music or how did you meet? Not really. Carol and I are like fire and water. We're, we're total opposites, you know. I, I would have my whole music thing going and she has a completely different vibe going. But... Uh, Carol and I are uh, high school sweethearts. 
Uh, I met Carol when I was 15 years old. I was KG5, and she uh, studied at Marinol Convent School. You had mentioned that you'd been like an engineer and then sort of senior engineer with um, mm. RTHK. When did you then move behind the mic? That was that was uh, because of the the, di- the disco thing. Because it's uh, around 1979, 19 yeah, 1979, decided that they could they needed a disco program. music but they needed a specific program for disco music and they say nobody here knows anything about disco music oh Jerry works here as an engineer he knows about disco music he's a disco DJ you know so at RTHK describe to me before you know before you then bring in your disco program yeah. at that time I mean I know that Ralph Pixton for example would he have been there he had the Sunday, I think a call in program Ralph Pixton and I had a very interesting relationship because I used to be the engineer on his program early in the morning when he when he'd start out and put on the Handel's water music to start the show going <laughs> and then he'd play all his big band marches and, and that sort of stuff and I'd be the person actually playing the records because Ralph doesn't touch any vinyl he, he just turns on the microphone and talks you know so I would be playing all the records we, we always used to have to start the, the Handel's water music so they would end just in time for the, the, the peeps at 6 a.m. You'd have to pre-fade it so that it'd start at a certain time. And, and I, I'm out all night, you know, and I, I'm half asleep in the morning. And uh, more than once I've fallen asleep and missed the cue to start, start the tape. And what so would Ralph do? I remember after about the third morning in a row of me missing the cue, he came in with his eye drops, held my head back, and he said, Open your eyes! Open your eyes! <laughs> <laughs> and try to put eye drops in my eyes. Because <laughs> he had a very posh voice, didn't he? he uh, yeah, he did. And, but he also had a programme where people could sort of phone in with complaints or he'd try and sort things out. Or... Oh, yeah, it was called Open Line. Open Line. And uh, people people would call in about potholes and things like that and he would say, yes, and we'll, we'll, call, the, we'll, we'll call this department or that department, we'll get it fixed for you, yeah. <laughs> So you come in then swinging in with your disco program? I think that I was probably the most radical music on air at that time, yeah. So what was your program called? Uh, My program was called Boogie Tracks. did things like I would have a whole hour of uh, disco music all mixed one into the other non-stop you know and uh, I just talk over it and uh, so what uh, were the so you're setting out with this in what year 
this was 79, yeah. So it's Saturday night. Is it Saturday it night? It was Saturday night? night, yeah. Saturday mm-hmm. night boogie tracks. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. But is it that... Is that... Um, I mean, Greece, I think, is 1979, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greece, was, Greece was big, and I, and I played a lot of Greece uh, songs in, in the discos, but Greece wasn't really disco music, so you know, it's more like uh, 50s-style rock and roll. So um, what would the early tracks on uh, Saturday night boogie tracks have been? It'll be Donna Summer, the Sylvester, Chic, you know, a lot of that sort of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, on this Saturday night, how long did you have Boogie Tracks for? Uh, it was a 45-minute show. And how long did it go on for? How many years? Uh, not very long at all. Uh, it only went on for, I think, only about a year. And then after that, RTHK started overnight broadcasting, and so I joined them as an overnight DJ. So I would have the graveyard shift. I'd be from 2 in the morning until 6 a.m. Oh. Yeah. So I'd come in after the disco and go straight on the air. (laughs) And then sometimes uh, when it gets to 6 o'clock in the morning and I have to read the weather, the words would be jumping around on the page, you know. (laughs) And then... Tony Ochez, uh, who was uh, would come in at six o'clock in the morning, would jump straight in there like he's had six cups of coffee and go blah 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 blah, and I'd be like, uh, <laughs> I'm sliding off. Well, that's demanding, two <laughs> to six. That's really demanding on your body. Isn't oh it? yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but you know, when you when you're young like that, you're you're invincible and you can do anything. You know, and also you're getting your radio hours up. Yeah, on, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, I got an evening show. Uh, and I was on before Ray Cordero because Ray always had that slot, that late night slot. And I'd come on before Ray Cordero and uh, finish my show and Ray would come on. And then eventually they gave me the drive time show. And I enjoyed that show. I, I did that for about three years uh, before I left. And uh, I sort of had fun. So that would be it. what, three till six? Yeah, yeah, three till six. And, and I used to uh, love interviewing people, had a lot of a lot of interesting people uh, on the show. So these would be musicians? Uh, everything from Billy Joel to Sister Sledge to the King of Tonga to, you know, whoever I could get my hands on the who King was in town. Yeah. <laughs> whoever was in town, yeah. What was the King of Tonga like? Uh, huge. We couldn't find a chair for him, so we had to bring in a piano stool. Some of the people who came in, we didn't really talk about music. Uh, we talked about everything under the sun. Billy Joel? Billy Joel is my idol. I love the man. He is, he is the most down-to-earth musician I have ever met. Uh, he's like a good old Joe, you know, and he talks to you one-on-one like you were in a bar together. Yeah, really nice guy. Where do you live in the U.S. and what do you do now? Right now, we're in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Uh, the city is only 45 minutes away, but we're out in uh, Amish country and near Lancaster in, in Pennsylvania. Our Walmart has uh, a place for people to tie up their horses. Yeah. <laughs> and we live uh, amongst horse farms and things like that. Very pretty, very... The, the, the space is just so open. You've got so much space and... I actually work for a German company called Siemens. So, coming back this time to Hong Kong, you've had a chance to catch up with your parents. I need to come back more often. Um, they're, they're, they're very old, um, and uh, when I sit down with them, I can sense a, a feeling of loss because I remember them when they were vibrant and young and doing things, you know, and to see them just sort of sitting on a couch at their age, 
not having the energy to do any more of that is very sad, you know, and, and I need to spend as much time as I can with them. I spent the last week uh, or so every day with them, and I'm going over again this afternoon uh, just to sit with them and, and, and hold my mother's hand. My buddy who has all my musical instruments in his basement right now, one day, you know, he, he, he thought he knew everything that I could play uh, uh, musically because I'd have all the instruments there and everything. And one day I brought my harmonicas in and I started playing. He said, what the heck don't you play? <laughs> I just like, like to dabble at everything. <laughs> just love making music. My thanks to Jerry Jose talking there about early DJing, his love of music and his time at RTHK. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.